0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, New York City, London, Toronto and Zurich. Today we're interviewing a very special guest. She's with us here today from London, Maria Accente we're really keen to find out about your role in Responsible AI and AI for Good. You're the lead at Cooper and you advise partners across industry, academia. There's lots and lots we're going to cover today. I'm very, very excited to introduce you to Maria. Welcome, Maria.
1: Thank you very much, Mia, and it's great to be here. And greetings from London, where we have a great weather, but also we are talking so much about coronavirus that now it's it's a great time to talk about something that's a nice distraction, which is how can we use the technology we have available like AI or blockchain or, or VR and AR to address the humanity's biggest societal problem.
0: Yes, that is a hot topic here in San Francisco. Yeah. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about you? Shall we dive into what got you into what you're doing and um...
1: Certainly. So I work for PwC UK, based out of London, and I'm part of AI Centre of Excellence, which is a central function within PwC. And our uh, mission is to support both the organisation and our clients with everything that has to do with AI. And since the the beginning of my journey with the, the team... I've started focusing on uh, areas like governance, risks, and ethics related to AI, and being able to bridge the development and use of, of AI with the rest of the organization. So, what's the impact? What's the context AI operates, and link with my day-to-day job? We started looking at how can we use. AI in um, context other than for profit? How can we use AI to uh, identify, for example, or sort garbage in a small town or a small village across UK? Or how can we detect or early detect children that are prone for abuse using machine learning and from that we kind of acknowledged that we have a lot of experience and capabilities and skills and experts in pwc that were looking at those issues and on one hand and on the other hand we had our technical capabilities around ai um, spread around the world so we just put it together and they came up with the idea of a program called ai for good that was looking into marrying the two pieces of expertise: how do we address social problems and um, developing AI? And in this uh, adventure, we ended up partnering with um, ITU and XPRIZE three years ago for oh. their first edition of AI for Good Global Summit, which was the start of a revolution for AI for Good. And and since then, we've been involved um, with various organizations in UN uh, arena and others in looking and. Uh, how to best use AI to address those issues that United Nations has put on the banner of sustainable development goals, but also how can we bring the consideration of values, ethics and morality and justice into that and not just mindlessly developing those tools. So that's pretty much the journey. I'm so excited to be able to say that in three years since we've started the The revolutionary for good. We've seen so many different organizations that have acknowledged the importance of of the topic and being able to contribute with resources, with experts. Uh, with knowledge into growing this revolution, so we've seen companies from uh, Microsoft all the way to um, small outlets and uh, government, like the one in UK, really being taking AI for good seriously and being able to to become important actor in driving the the agenda forward. That's great. So this this has been going on for
0: three years, and what have you? Personally, Notice has benefited as a result of this kind of community of actors in, in the AI community. And what do you need outside mm-hmm. of your AI bubble, let's say, you know, to really uh, integrate it into um, the world of for-profit, I would say, that is probably keen to really capitalize on the opportunities that are are there because of what ai enables mm. um there's something you're in a, a unique position to advise um with your vast trove of experience what can you share from from you know the summit and your experience mm. um with companies and nonprofits what is ai for good to the general public perhaps
1: mm. as
0: well as to the ai community
1: mm probably um the biggest achievement i'm very proud of all of us um, to to say we have got is a raising awareness and the fact that we've been talking so much about the huge potential the AI brings but that potential was very quickly translated into bucks, into financial gains. While um, with uh, from the start of this AI for Good Revolution we've highlighted the fact that, that the potential or the benefits might not necessarily be translated in, in, in dollars but could be as well translated in quantitative factors like an increase in well-being or an increase of quality of life or flourishing of everyone in the planet and being able to challenge some of the structural inequalities and wrongs of the world. That's probably the biggest one. I think the second one is a sheer diversity of initiative that exists around the world. The fact that with the democratization of technology in the last 10, 15 years, we've seen such a high uptake of citizens developers, citizen data scientists that have been able to to kind of experiment with technology. And look at um, the big tech companies are making available a lot of those tools and methodology for free and open source. And therefore we see that people who are problem owners in in a small village somewhere in Africa or in South America, being saying, how can I use machine learning to be able to predict various issues I have on my farm, for example? So uh, we have this uh, not just interest, but we have a lot of potential actors that, have not just the high stake and interest, but the ones that could be uh, supported with the right resources and expertise and knowledge to further grow those initiatives. On on the downsides, what I think much more needs to be made is the the attention that for-profit needs to give it to the topic, is the fact that this is not a nice to have, this is not just the corporate social responsibility topic. It has to become part of the DNA how we function and we are we are very much helped by the climate crisis um and now with this outbreak, hopefully more organizations will be looking at how how to build resilience within their operation but also how to be much much trusted actor in society and being able not just to scrutinize the outcome of what they deliver but also being able to be much more transparent and much more honest with the outcomes and I'm being optimistic. I hope that uh, this is what we will get out of those uh, big events, both the climate crisis and this uh, pandemic: a realization from the companies that they need to change, or organization right. need to fundamentally change how they approach those problems. And yes, solving poverty or addressing a gender. Bias and inequality—it's not the realm of governments or small enterprises. Is those sustainable development goals is Mm. for everyone and anyone who lives on this planet. So, I'm hoping that we will see more people uh, coming to realize that. I'm I'm very much looking at uh, the young generation and being quite empowered by what what Greta Thunberg has done, how how she is able to mobilize the young generation, and I'm hoping that. We will see that translated into young professionals, uh, students, uh, future entrepreneurs that when they will be thinking about even starting a business, starting it with those issues of sustainable development goals in mind and issues of sustainability and being environmental friendly and being able to tackle some of the issues, we might be in a better place in a few years down the line.
0: Indeed, that's really hopeful and great to hear. Um, and and the corporate responsibility part, you're at um, PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Waterhouse Coopers, and you were responsible for creating a AI toolkit. Do you want to talk about how how you stitched that, or how did you persuade them? What was that process like for you, jumping into that kind of organization that is supporting what you're doing enabling um, or what, what what has that enabled you to do?
1: So I'm, I'm actually very fortunate to be in a company like BWC and although many will say but yet it's just another corporation and yet you advise clients on various delicate financial measures I think there are there are many many parts where pwc makes a a real difference and we've just announced a big uh, partnership with unicef an organization that's very close to my heart and i'll explain in a minute why to support them with skills and people and experience to upskill the next generation so we have all those type of initiatives that will look beyond the for-profit including a thousand the employee strong practice of sustainability and climate change. They will be looking at issues of climate, sustainability, clean cities, clean waters. And um, with that in mind, as I said, wow. I said before, the fact that we also have an AI practice, bringing those two teams together, we unlock magic. And mm. uh, being part of part of this type of culture, you know, creating something like an AI for good initiatives, uh, came very natural because, on one hand, we already have the skills in the house and we have um, the expertise and the recognition. On the other hand, we had good-hearted people who are willing to um, spend above and beyond uh, from their times to be putting all this together. And secondly, we had the support and the fact that the firm and the leadership strongly believes that there is a big important role for for us as as a company to play. And I'm not in any case advocating for for love for corporation. I'm just saying that I wish more companies of this yeah, size will be indeed. able to do the same because I think that's when we start seeing some some fundamental changes. And in a way, it's um, because I have a lot of friends who work in academia, and as as you know, might know, academia is sometimes very much anti corporate. Um, not always easy to convince that there is goodness there's a lot of good people in those places and they are doing fantastic work mm-hmm. and they're willing to to go above and beyond um yes yeah, sometimes they clashes with uh, the the for-profit especially in shareholders institution but i can see it around me so many people that are willing to talk the talk walk the walk and challenge the system and that makes me you know very pleased and um the tool i'm actually working on at the moment or, or I'm, I'm looking after for responsible ai is very much linked with, the, with with the same principles of how can you use the technology in a sustainable and beneficial ways not 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 just from a profit perspective um so we've been looking at ethical principles and values that need to be embedded in those autonomous systems and also how to best govern it in a way that um, maximize the benefits but manages the risk and we try to make this approach as a, a first in every single project we say so it said all ai needs to be responsible including the one for profit including the non-for-profit and um we are looking to kind of give this ex- expertise to uh, the uh, social enterprises and kind of create um, or repurpose the framework we use for our clients mm-hmm. as much as is possible for uh, small enterprises or startups and for for social enterprises to actually give that uh, experience further and being able to have sustainable impact
0: Right. So you mentioned, um, a framework and the toolkit. Um, what goes into that? What, what are some of the things that, you know, you're concerned about that you're, you know, trying to overcome, um, by, by creating this responsible AI toolkit?
1: So the the toolkit is a a collection of assets, both code-based and non-code-based, that address in a nutshell um, two main issues when it comes to the development and use of AI. One is like what values need to be embedded in the application from the beginning and throughout the life cycle. Keeping in mind the values is something very, uh, values are context sensitive and a context is defined by geography jurisdiction um culture norms um organization uh but 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 also specific elements of industries and functional stage within the value chain and the second one is how how do i best govern um the development on ai in, in a way that uh, there is a clear accountability and responsibility plus uh, we understand what are the risks and we are able to provide or, or develop the right controls, the right way to mitigate this. Uh, so, mm-hmm. as I said, we have uh, close to 20 different assets um, within the toolkit and they are used as accelerator, meaning that uh, whenever someone has a problem in the realm of AI, we are able to say, um, to, to use the assets to help the clients make sure that they are thinking about the values, the ethical principles, they ought to be embedded, and those are done in a sustainable way. So it's not something that's done a one-off or for one product is done holistically at enterprise level. Uh, and with that, I said, I think the ultimate role is to develop uh, autonomous and intelligent systems that um, account for their impact and account for the risk, not just for the organization, but also account for harms on individuals, harms in society. Mm-hmm. And being able to, to look at even the, the solutions that are being developed for the for profit to have that social responsibility in their DNA.
0: And that's that's interesting. So, what does that look like in terms of biases, um, the way they work together? Are they competitive, collaborative? What What are some of the things you're doing to deliver those results?
1: Uh, so, they since we have addressed issues like uh, fairness, uh, transparency, and robustness and security. In fact, they are software products that act as a plug and play. So, for example, on fairness we uh, help whomever has an algorithm that that requires testing from a fairness perspective to understand what is fairness within that context so keep in mind that fairness has 23 different definitions so it's very important to define what fairness is and then being able to 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 detect bias that exists in both the data and the models and then being able to address it in a way that's sustainable so that's that's one of the way to approach it uh, another way is to look holistically and say um if we are to make all our um, autonomous systems or all our ai solution and fair we need to be defining fairness, uh, at organizational level so that, uh, when we go, not just developing tools, when we actually go to acquire tools, the fairness that we have defined applies for everything, uh, that, ev- everything that we use on AI, including in-house build and third party. Mm-hmm. It's the same with transparency, the fact that transparency doesn't always relate to the way um, an algorithms operate but also how the outcome is communicated the fact that even if you have a fully open algorithm you might have an opaque process that ultimately will translate into an incapacity to explain a decision being made and therefore the result for the user might be the same but it's not the uh, opacity of the, 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 the algorithms by its opacity of, uh, of a process. And that needs to be challenged. So we address it on a very m- many different level, accounting for the fact that AI is not a, te- a simple technology is a, is a complex social, economical and environmental context that needs to be addressed as such. And when we look at issues as, as ethics, It's good to have KPIs. They will allow you to measure the level of fairness you have if you want. And there are plenty of audit tools that come attached with certain solutions. But what's more important to be able to say the outcome is fair and the the outcome um, is aligned with the original requirements. So, it's a little bit more complex and dynamic, but the way we help our clients is is to make sense of it of it all and being able to start building um this in that in the, the DNA of the organization right, which is a and much complex j- journey than right. just uh, looking at addressing fairness or transparency at data and algorithm level.
0: Yeah, no, you mentioned holistic, and I was just wondering, you know, it sounds to me like you're building trustworthy AI. How far along do you think you are in that journey? I mean, it's probably ongoing, but how how confident are you?
1: Trustworthy AI, it's, uh, it's a really funny term, to be fair, because I think in the, in the end, um, it is we we, sh- we shouldn't necessarily trust AI. We should trust that whomever is developing um, and operating that technology has really understood what they're doing. And that's what we need to be doing. And the fact that the humans who are in charge or signing off or working on it, they have the right amount of responsibility, accountability and knowledge to be able to do it. So I would, part of me says that trustworthy AI might not be the the right way to define it because we yeah. we should not, Assign attributes to machine uh, that are, in any case, cannot be either trusted or good or bad. But we are talking about human characteristics, and we need to be remain aware that there are humans who who are in charge of doing this operation, and the machines that are being built are an outcome of a human led process. And how far we are from trustworthy AI, I think, depends very much on the context and depends very much on the lenses you apply. Uh, if I were to look uh, with the lenses of justice, perhaps what is being built or being deployed by some of the big tech companies might not be, you know, aligned with the notions of justice or, or, or fairness, especially when you see how bias against um, women or ethnic minorities, some of the algorithms are, then you'll say definitely we're not. It's a vision. It's, it's, a, it's an end state we aspire to, but I think there's so much work to be done. And again, the problem is not with the machine, is, is with the humans and the fact that those challenges or, or those issues have been part of humanity DNAs for so long. It's going to be a titanic fight, if you want. So. Yeah let's brace ourselves because we know that the only way is to have a trustworthy and fair AI is to go and address the systemic issues of of humanity. The fact that we are uh, biased and uh, unjust and um we discriminate based on race and gender and sex and so many other different attributes. So
0: it's intriguing. I mean, the human-centered uh, responsibility there and what these um are learning. And as as they learn to learn, I wonder if you know they. Um, at what point we do reach a, an autonomous, um, not knowing what's really going on, um, is going to be something that we'll start seeing more and more of. Perhaps like there was a an interesting exhibition at Berkeley the other week, and these two robots met for the very first time, and it looked like one of the robots started to dance, and and the human the human view of that was like, oh, isn't that cute? It's flirting, it's preening, it's doing something. I wonder what the robot was thinking when it did that. Is it saying, oh, look, I can do more than you? You know, was it being competitive? Was it, you know, what what was the robot actually? Why why did the robot behave that way? You know, it was like just so unexpected. And um, I, I should send you a video of it because it, it just is super uh, interesting what prompted that behavior, you know, from, from mm. this this robot but um, that's another conversation I mean it's it's we can talk forever but I love what you're saying about the vision and end state and and just acknowledging the diversity and lack of um, and just really being addressing these things very very important and it it is a promised land I mean what would you say that the do no harm the the perilous side what what are you what's the worst case scenario or some things that you are, you know, concerned about that you've seen. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, of work as one, you know, just, just what's going to happen to the state of work. Um, and, and now that we're finding people are working from home, uh, everyone's, uh, you know, here at Google, Amazon, um, you know, they're actually quite happy to have everyone working from home and they've noticed um, it's actually quite productive. People are being more productive and um, all these cascading effects coming out like um, a bakery just closed down near Google because there's no one there to feed anymore because everyone's gone. You know, they're working from home. So I'm just brainstorming here. What What can we learn from this? coronavirus and um are we getting ready for a more digitized uh, world and and how can humans work what can we do what um how can we how can we move forward in a in a optimistic and humanitarian way
1: i think that that's an absolutely excellent question i think it remains to be seen because i think one of the positive takeaways in a crisis is that it shakes the establishment so much that allows you to think differently and and focus on the positive there will there will be and is a lot of negativity and a less of a positive outcome with with so many cases of people getting infected and unfortunately casualties. Uh, but what I've seen from my experience working with, uh, with Ebola uh, five years ago and WHO uh-huh. is that there's always an opportunity to think outside the box. And that's the benefit of a crisis is that suddenly it, it forces us to, to get out of our comfort zones, our little boxes and use what we have at, at hand to be able to recreate and reinvent um, the way we live, the way we work. And, uh, remain to be seen that how that is going to be translated into the, the, uh, the worlds of work. I don't think that that will change significantly, uh, the prospect of job automation. I think that will remain still there because from one perspective, the, the job automation or the augmentation of job using autonomous systems it's extremely appealing from the perspective of optimization the fact that optimization is the the nirvana the ultimate dreams of every business executives mm-hmm. uh, the fact that now you have a technology that could very much replace uh, humans who could be sometimes uh, very difficult to manage and have so many demands compared with the machine that you know it might be a bit more expensive to design and deploy but on long term it's much more cost effective so job automation, it's still going to be very much on the cards for, uh, for the future. But I think I'm, I'm hoping that collectively we will start, uh, putting back the human in control and p- putting, empowering those who at the moment do not have a voice in saying, even if from an efficiency perspective, it makes sense for you to fully automate or to fully replace a human with a machine. Um, there are so many other uh, uh, consideration that should be uh, added um, to the decision, not just optimization, including the impact on the environment, including the impact on society. If we automate too too many jobs in a certain domain, and suddenly we create the social problems, and also on very very important on on well being of employees, because obviously the work is is not just a way of of subsistence, is it, also a important activity that gives meaning to humans. So I think we start seeing all those topics being brought by social scientists is, and, and researchers much more in the mainstream. And hopefully that will start waiting in for those who make decision on the dark side. I would say that in situations like this, and especially with the technology that has it's so potent there is a risk and we've already seen um in couple of examples of uh increasing the surveillance in certain ways so the fact that in china uh new sort application were developed to further surveil the people with the view of screening the ones that have the mileage of syn- symptom and now it's it feels that with the crisis they have or Various actors have the right justification to do so. And with that, we just opened the door for more measures towards a surveillance state, which makes a lot of us uh, quite uncomfortable. Not so much that we don't trust our democracy. Maybe we, we, we trust them less around the world, but also the fact that when we, those technologies are being deployed, they're usually uh, developed and sold by uh, private actors mm. and uh, private actors have access to very valuable data like our, our biometric data and that that in itself is a huge vulnerability like like with the case of Clarview AI that has access to so many uh, mark shots or, or, or facial recognition images mm. and they were uh, cyber hacked. That fact is quite worrying to be frank and the fact that not just uh, autocracies like China or Russia, uh, they have announced using those surveillance technology in this crisis, but the fact that other states are much more tempted to do so because of the circumstances makes a lot of us in the community at ease. So we need to be very careful how do we scrutinize and allow for this to go uh, beyond the, the crisis response, the crisis recovery, and make sure that there are balances and checks in place.
0: Very important. And um, what would you say we, I know that you're, um, you're very, very much involved as a director of outreach at AI commons. Uh, Is this a good time to maybe talk a bit about that? Does that relate to what you were just talking about previously, crisis management things and just um, keeping a check on things? What, what's the role of AI commons?
1: That's an excellent question. I think that that will bring us back to where we started um, the conversation, and the fact that um on one hand, AI for good is a growing trend that has got the and has the support of a growing community, both most of the AI community, but also outside of of that. And we're talking about policymakers, uh, civil servants, uh, researchers, academia, but also people from from profit. And the AI for Good conference brought a lot of us together three years ago. And after the first event, IOTU and XPRIZE, who were the original uh, organizers, have looked at how to keep that momentum with a series of activities throughout the year before the next event, uh, between events. And that's where the AI Commons community was born, on one hand of the need of keeping the the community together and the second one being able to bring not just a set of or a group of experts in the AI field but also the ones that have resources in the the form of um, access to infrastructures or models or data or knowledge Um, and they're willing to put that in a common pot that that can be given to those who are in the field and uh, own problems in this space and support them to solve those problems. So at the moment, the AI Commons is a community with 60 members and growing. We have a large number of organizations from um, IT on XPRIZE, including MILA, which is the research institute uh, founded by Yoshua Benjo and IEEE and many other organizations. Uh, plus a number of high-profile AI experts. In fact, the founders of AI Commons, three of the AI pioneers, Francesca Rossi, okay. the AI ethics lead at IBM, uh, Joshua Benjo, and uh, Stuart Russell. Those guys need no introduction. Cause obviously, if there's anyone who has done a lot for AI to be where it is, is those guys together. And what's probably the most heartwarming thing about ai commons is to see how many from uh, how much heart is is put forward by everyone in this group and the fact that we're talking about very busy people with uh, lots of convergent priorities and activities but yet they take the time to contribute to ai commons and contribute to the vision of how can we collect resources that we can then uh, make available in an open source manner to everyone who needs them? Because um, obviously those resources exist, but they might be buried in various organizations. There are experts that might know well how to solve a problem and scale it very quickly, but they are inaccessible because of various reasons. So how can we make this accessible to everyone who has a problem how can we prioritize those problems how can we make sure that um, when we solve something a problem with a solution it goes through a, some sort of a quality assurance process and how can we then standardize that approach and apply it to other problems so that's at the core of the ai commons whereas i would say organized. We are more of a community of uh, big hearts and uh, big brains. Um, they want to put everything the best they have for the benefit of, of everyone that works in the field. And um, we're very excited um, to remain, you know, uh, active part of the AI for Good revolution started by ITU. And uh, to see how far we we can take this approach and how can you bring more initiatives under this umbrella and make sure that it's not just about resources and experts, but also raising awareness and and being able to empower those who think that they have everything it takes to make a difference, but they might not lack the confidence in many, many cases. It's just a matter of empowering and giving the right confidence to those people, and magic magic will happen then when people have not just the right resources and access to people, but they are fully confident in their own abilities. They can make a difference.
0: And it is heartwarming what you're saying. And I'm just wondering, what's the ask from AI Commons to our community of of you um, here at humanitarian? AI meetup data scientists and, and everybody involved. We're we're starting to get even lay people interested. Um so mm. so it's kind of expanding beyond the community of your usual AI actors. But what um who are you finding is coming to AI Commons and, and who would you like to encourage to, to come along? Mm. What do you need?
1: So I would if we would have capacity, I would encourage everyone who works in AI and has something meaningful to give away uh, to others to join us. But obviously, we have a limited capacity, uh, uh, how many of those calls we can take. So uh, we started working on some very concrete initiatives. We are due to announce, and that's part of my role in the next couple of months uh, or so, to be able to announce those initiatives that are part of AI Commons and Calling for external support. Uh, until then, if people have any ideas or they are interested in finding out more, please contact us uh, on our, our website, AI Commons, and reach out to uh, any of us in the network. We are available on social media as well. And challenge us. Tell us what's going on in your field and, and tell us how do you think we can help? Because we also want to to keep a a room for flexibility and allow people to be proactive and run those initiatives the best way they can so uh, besides the project that we are putting together as a group with a partnering organization we inviting others to come with tell us ideas of, of projects that can be done as long as they align with the mission of Uh, Supporting those uh, problem owners to scale and achieve sustainable solutions to their problems with any mean possible knowledge, skills, technology, and and experience. Right.
0: And that's a nonprofit. So you're, it's interesting you're wearing the the different hats. And um, we talked a bit earlier about diving in a level deeper in terms of, you know, how can the two really, really be positive and help each other that the non-profit world the um the for-profit world and you know support each other did you want to maybe share some of your experience there working in both areas
1: and, well, and if um, you have
0: any advice or anything you want to ask that'd be great well,
1: obviously we a lot of us know that there is a, a bit of a tension in between the for-profit and the non-for-profit, and in many cases, or let's say, the for-profit were not always the the best promoters of this type of initiatives. But I think what I'm myself and and my team in PwC were trying to change, and it's almost like a internal journey that we take uh, as well is. To work with our colleagues, that this has to be part of business as usual. CSR is not a side activity; is part of the DNA of how businesses operate. And that's where I would I would see, you know, or I I would like to see things going towards the fact that businesses start to acknowledge that being environmental friendly it's not a nice to have; it's not a competitive advantage; is a must have. Um, addressing discrimination or a uh, lack of, or addressing the lack of women in the boardroom and in the, in the decision making structure again is not a nice to have. It's a must have. And all those issues are, need to become from a side, um, issue into uh, a, a priority for everyone who is running any sort of operation. That would be the vision. I think it's, it's a long journey and Like many, I'm taking, I'm, I've learned to be patient and to understand that the change will not come overnight, but uh, raising more awareness and gaining more hearts will allow us to bring that change much quicker. On the other hand, and more probably more uh, short term term, the way for profit can start playing a more active part is as I've just explained earlier, the fact that we have so much, not just financial resources, I don't think that the social um, enterprise enterprises or, or this space lacks funding or fi- financial resources. I think it's more of a non-financial means, and we're talking of various uh, capabilities, but also experience, uh, knowledge, which we know it's so, so important. And this is where we are willing to to give much more and we are empowering others to give much more and said how can someone who's a data scientist or a business consultant being able to volunteer their time and expertise of supporting the ones that might need the helping hand or navigating the complexity of solving a problem and being able to do it in a professional manner right because we we do this for a living and we're very successful at what we do, um, all of us. Therefore why not translating this into a non for profit and being able to apply the same quality standard in this world. We're not gonna fundamentally change the the how the system operates, but I'm confident that we would have positive and long term impact. And as I said, it's about critical mass. If more of more of us are will be doing it, we'll be able to have so much more significant impact right now on people's lives rather than wait for a systemic change to happen.
0: That's so important. Um it's it's great to share your gift in such a way and your time. Um, you know, excellent choice. But the scaling of AI. Did you want to maybe unpack a solution you've been you you know about uh, related to SDGs and and problems there? I, is that something you're in a position to share right now? Or
1: yes. Yeah. I, one of the um, the challenges that AI is bringing is in in one hand we're talking a lot about opportunities and risk is the fact that. AI can unlock huge economic um, and social gains, but in the same time um exacerbate current inequalities, uh, wrongs in the society. Therefore, we need to, to be prepared to have this honest conversations about uh, both the risks and opportunity. The second biggest challenge is that if we are expected or if we are uh, really after those huge gains that AIZ promises, we need to be making or developing AI very much linked to a context, and being able to have that critical assessment of the context through the eyes the of values and, and morality, and being able to challenge um, how ethical the, the context, this uh, application will 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 function, but also being able to make it work in a set circumstance, and keep in mind organizational organization after certain size become complex systems society is a complex system that and humanity has become so complex that it's very difficult for anyone to be able to de- demonstrate how it operates with that in mind when we have a technology that's very different from the way we operated before the fact that it is is a is a machine that is has a certain degree of intelligence depending on how you define intelligence uh, but an increasing degree of autonomy deployed in in a certain context um, it will trigger a significant change and we need to be able to understand what are the blockers and how to be able to accommodate this solution in a way that as i said it delivers benefits and mitigates the risk and the notion of adopting or scaling AI—it's something that keeps a lot of a lot of the professionals working in the field awake at night. Because it's one thing to experiment and create a proof of concept and an MVP in a lab, but when you make it well released in the wild, that's a very complex issue. Just to give you more example, when we develop a proof of concept. of the budget is allocated for a proof of concept and usually takes in between 6, 9 to 12 months to develop a proof of concept. The rest of 70% of the budget plus the time is to actually scaling it. So you can understand that the challenge and we're talking here through the perspective of for profit organization that already have a mature understanding of working with those technology and understanding of complexity and enterprise architectures and legacy systems. What about when we talk about the public sector or the the health industry, the health sector, they will face the same challenge, but they wouldn't necessarily have the understanding of how to make it work. Um, not to mention when we're talking about, you and organization. Or any other organization that is seeking to address those as big challenges is it's one thing to have a great, great idea and something that works on your laptop, you know, using a small data set. It's a different thing when you start, you, you release it in the wild and how prepared are we to deal with something that will generate unintended consequences and emerging behaviors? That's remain to be seen and how to address that. It's, it's an ongoing question I think that's where we see a lot of interest from everyone from uh, the big players in the field down to organization is how to sustainably scale AI but the minute we will find the recipe that works I think um, I hope that that will may be made open source so that others will be able to use that because I think a lot of the challenges will be common, so it's not like someone will gain more competitive advantage by using their own approach. Um, we will we'll see a, a flurry of approaches, but addressing common challenges and, and being able to share some best practices on how to do it. But it's going to be the biggest challenge of all, I think yeah. even bigger than embedding ethics because of the complexity where those tools set to operate and the fact that their key characteristics made them a unique, a unique tool. Yeah. I'm just nodding my head and yeah, it's a
0: a huge, huge, huge jump off of wherever that takes us. Do you have a timeline for that kind of decision-making process?
1: In terms of the uh, adoption, you mean, mm. I think it depends very much. It's organization by organization and also um, depends on the vision of some of the leaders tasked with adopting AI and the courage because sometimes, um many cases, those tools will go wrong like it did with the Amazon recruitment tool or the Apple card. But how we deal with when things go wrong might be much more beneficial than just shutting the tool all together. And it's hard to say or to predict uh, accurately the speed of adoption because that has a lot of social, economical, political factors involved. Even something like coronavirus might have a positive impact on the speed of adoption. Um, as, As we discussed earlier, us working from home, you might see, we might see a, a flurry of new tools being tested or new approaches, uh, work being tested. But in the same time, we still have some big challenges to address and that has to do with um, data privacy, ownership and governance. So we still haven't figured it out. What is data and what, what do we do about it? We still debate over data is the new oil or is i p or is the new gold, and secondly, I think the the risk associated with all those technology, if we start seeing white we start see cases that will demonstrate a uh, harm to a group of individuals in society, hopefully uh, that will make many people reflect. And, and pause before jumping into adopting. Mm. So it's not, as I said, just about removing the blockers, uh, being able to understand and anticipate where potential harms and risks might occur and how to best deal with it and, um, start transforming your organization, start being, having the crisis management mindset, which we are so used to, to, to deploy for cyber. I think. Potentially, we might need to have the same approach with some of the AI solution, especially for the cases when they operate within in, in critical processes. We might require to do that. We might need to teach data scientists to be crisis respondents as we do with cyber prati- practitioners. Because, yes, we're talking about unintended consequences and emerging behavior. And we don't have necessary now a tool of how to handle unintended consequences and those type of new new behaviors
0: well let's make sure it's in good hands and and it's been great talking to you Marie. is there anything you want to share we've covered so much and we can keep talking I know.
1: yeah um, yes
0: it's, it's just amazing you know learning what you're sharing thank you so much is is um is there anything else that comes to mind before we close this if you'd like to share a need you might have with our our thousand plus meetup group members, or a final message or takeaway,
1: mm. that'd be great. Um, it it was great talking to you, and thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's probably you my my notice. I'm very passionate about the topic, but not about the technology itself. It's about making a difference in the world with this technology. And one of the things I've learned by being part of the AI community, especially in the last three years, is there's a lot of goodwill, uh, big brains and hearts that build this technology. And they're trying very their very best to fight against those systemic issues and keep an eye on their work, see how you can support them, even by augmenting their voice. I think it's so important to be able to speak up and raise attentions of those issues because there's so much going on in the world and we tend to be distracted by major events and breaking news. Then sometimes we miss the fact that we have those solutions who already are making decisions for people on people's freedom or how social benefits are being awarded. And we need to be bringing them to light and we need to be able to push back and we need to come kind of come collectively and address those issues because if we are to challenge the accumulation of powers by the big tech companies and the systemic inequalities, the only way to do it is, is to come together and challenge those positions and not wait for the leaders not wait for laws and regulation to be developed but make it happen right now and don't underestimate the power of your voice and even if you are you know still a student and you might think how can I how can I fight this how can I how can I even start thinking about it Mm. don't be overwhelmed by the enormity of of the problem. It's just be out there, speak up, uh, find something that you're passionate in this field and follow it. Uh, a lot of us in our community are very open to, to speak with you and give you the opportunity to get involved uh, wherever we see those. Uh, but don't wait for us. Go be proactive. Search for the things you you think that you can make a difference. Be active on social media. Be active on rallies. Write articles. Speak up you know, speaking up and raising awareness is so terribly important. And from there, a lot of of good things could happen.
0: That's great advice. And it's absolutely wonderful speaking to you. Thanks for sharing your insights with us today, Maria. Luciana Accente, your full name, um, it's been amazing talking to you. So thanks for all you do. That brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close.